and that was that was my fault with the wireless. When you sat down there, I guess it picks up from there, so I'm sorry about that. So I had to do a little checking to see what uh, Father's Day, because I got to thinking about it. When did, when did it first start? I knew it was fairly recent. And, you know, we've actually had Mother's Day since uh, 1868. And uh, that came about when the Civil War happened and the mothers got together to start bringing the families back together where brothers fought against brother and, and father against son and uncle against uncle. And it took the mothers to come together and say, you know, everybody loves their mother. So come on, guys, this is over, and we need to get back together as a family. And so they did, and that began in the church. And interestingly enough, Father's Day started in 1910 in a little place called uh, Spokane, Washington, if you've ever heard of that. And uh, a a lady by the name of uh, Sonora Dodd, who was raised by her father because her mother died at uh, giving birth to her. Uh, when they were celebrating Father's or celebrating Mother's Day, she just thought, you know, we need to do something for fathers too. And so she um, started Father's Day in the church. And, and both of these became, um, became national holidays in 1966. In 1972, they became official. And she started Father's Day in June because that's the month her father was born. And so that's how that came about. Now, you know, I have a few things here that um, I looked up because I've always had an interest in uh, certain sayings and, and um, quotes. And uh, being a father, it's much easier to become a father than be one. Amen to that. By the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son that thinks he's wrong. <laughs> Lately, all my friends are worried that they are turning into their fathers. I'm worried that I'm not. I'm into that. The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. That's a good one. Being a father is the most important role that I will ever play. If I don't do this well, no other thing I do really matters. That's putting the importance on fatherhood. Then there's three stages of a man's life. He believes in Santa Claus. He doesn't believe in Santa Claus. He is Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) Fatherhood is pretending the present that you love the most is soap on a rope. I don't know if that's a gift anymore. That might be a 70s thing. I'm not sure. I haven't seen soap on a rope for a while, but uh, that's from Bill Crosby. I really like his approach on this. And Bill Crosby also said, you know, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. And I think that was actually used on me when I was about 16 (laughs) in a veiled form. My father, this fellow says, my father used to play with my brothers and me in the yard, and mother would come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. And father would say, we're not raising grass, we're raising boys. And (laughs) we would get back at it. And this is a good one by Billy Graham. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. 
That's what Billy Graham has to say about fatherhood. And then finally, the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Amen to that. So we are in the um, start of a, or towards the end of a um, seven ways to become a world changer. You can see that's on there. And um, we had uh, 24 hours, Pastor Brian had 24 hours of time in that we all had 24 hours of time. He had uh, Mother's Day. We had playing position. What was the position, the position that mothers play? And then we have uh, relationships, and where he talked about relationships. And all, we all have relationships, big and small, and, and long time and short term, but we all have relationships. And we all have talent. God has given us all a measure of talent that we can choose to bury and, and forget, or we can choose to build upon it. And then last Sunday he talked about, or the Sunday before he talked about bringing in the tithes and that how important it is to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that the, uh, there will be food in the Lord's house. Now this time we're part two of um, playing position and that we're talking about Father's Day being part two of the position that we play. And next Sunday will be, um, he's going to be talking on Offerings, what, what we have to offer the Lord. We talk about tithes, and he'll talk about offerings. So as we start this, it is no doubt that in today's world, it has done its best on confusing the roles that fathers and men play in the home. The worldly system has succeeded in destruction, chaos, and mayhem. In God's kingdom, the world should always see a testament to the power of God. In God's people, the world needs to see the biblical standard of his word that works. Amen to that. What role does a man play, a husband play, in the family and at home? God's word always provides the answer that many in the, in the world refuse to see and acknowledge and follow. And you know, if you read the news today, it doesn't, it doesn't take a, any um, genius to see that this is all under assault, that God's word is under assault. The definition of family is under assault in today's society, especially in our society. And so for beginning this message, I thought that we would start at the beginning in Genesis 1.27. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in the beginning, we see right there, God created mankind. And that word could also be humankind. God created them male and female. So we know right there what, that it was, it was established from the very beginning. And then Jesus carried on with this in talking in um, Mark 10, chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, when he was being questioned about, about um, divorce. And he said, uh, well, you know, in the beginning, God 
made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, no one can let no man separate. So we see, we're starting to see the beginning of God's divine order in that we have the role for, for the father, for the husband, for the wife, and for the family. And the two will become one. You know, you become, when we get married, we become one in spirit. And later we become one when we produce offspring. And I just saw that so much, and I still see that so much with, with my daughters as they have their children. As we had our children, it's, it's a blend of both. And as they have their children, it's a blend of both. And they're each unique, and they're each special. And that's how God created us. And he, that was his very plan from the very beginning, that they would be created male and female, that there would be no confusion to that, and that they would become one. Why? So they could fill the earth with, with people that would worship him and turn to him. That was his plan. And so today, as we look at... Um, Matt? Okay, there it is. Today, as we look at our text, which is Colossians 3, 17 through 21, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father and through him. Then we have instructions for, for the Christian household. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. So we see that, you know, when the, when the Lord began this, that we have this, this unique relationship that we have a head and, and we have the rest of the family, father, mother, child. And he didn't begin it by saying, husbands, rule over your wives. That's not there. He began it by saying, wives, be subject to your husbands. And, and uh, husbands, love your wives. It's a relationship. When we go on from there, we see that um, the position is always played for his glory. Why, why do we do what we do? We do this for the glory of God. You know, we all know that this life is temporal. We are here for a set time. This is but a shadow of the real reality. For those that think that this is all there is, this is not all there is. And it's best now to figure that out until waiting until the last minute. So all that we do, we do for his glory. We look to his word, we find what he has to say, and we follow him. So, in playing the position as father, um, Paul, see there's a little lag to this. Paul says, whether, whether you, then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to either the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church. Just as I also please man in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. So this, again, is why we are here and why we are doing this for the glory of God, not for our own profit.
profit or for our own enjoyment, but to live our lives and to bring, ultimately, to bring glory to God. Whatever we do, whether in, in, in word or deed, eat or drink, uh, to bring glory to God, to bring honor to him. First and foremost as men, we must be followers of Christ. That, I think, is the most important thing that we can do in a family. Because if you're not following Christ, who are you following? You're following the flesh. And we know where that leads, and that does not lead to anything that amounts to anything of any kind. And I see so many broken families. Why? Because the father chose not to follow God. Chose to go his own way. So the most important thing that we can do as men is first be followers of Christ. I drove a stake in the ground on that one a long time ago. Even though I was raised in a Christian home, I grew up pretty wild and reckless. I think I wrecked three or four cars. Cheryl wouldn't have anything to do with me until I turned 20. And uh, it was later then that once we got married that I said, you know, okay, we need to, I need to make a change and, and, and not live like this. So I came back to the Lord. And I, made, I drove a stake in the ground. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I was saved. Of course, I was saved as, as an earlier age, but I, I never did turn my back on God, but I did what I wanted to do. And um, at about, I wanted to say, about 20 when we got married, we decided, okay, we need to make a change. And today, I have a card that I hand out. When I, we all have business cards. I've had business cards, many business cards. And I never put any scriptures on my business cards because I thought, you know, when I was actually in business doing things, I didn't want to um, come across that way. It was all business. But this is my personal card. And uh, so this is just for me. And I have on it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24, 15. And anybody that I give this to, they know right where I'm coming from and my, what is important in my life. So position that we play as head of the house, as leaders of our family, is to decide which way to go. There are many ways to go, as you can see on this. Go to the right, you can go to the left, or you can go straight ahead. And we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit and of the Lord and of his word to tell us which way to go. Otherwise, we are like on a sea without a compass. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. Oh, no, I got a job over here now. No, I got a girlfriend over here. No, I got this. No, I got that. We're going nowhere but in a circle, as in down the drain. And you can see so many times lives that people have shipwrecked their own lives because they didn't have a compass. They didn't have the word of God, which is so very important, that we put upmost and foremost in our lives. What does the word say about that? So we know that in this, that even as, as, as men's position is to be the husband and to be the head of the house, we know that God is no respecter of persons. Acts 
nor does he show favoritism. Romans 2.11. And we know that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor servant, slave nor free, male nor female, for they are all one in Christ Jesus. So we see we have this order that is a temporal order while we are on earth that God has put for us to follow. You know that um, there are some examples that I thought of in that um, you can only have one driver of a car. You know, how many times when we leave church here today do you and the wife run out, I'm driving home, I, no, I'm driving home, no, I'm driving home. You know, you don't run out there and find your wife sitting in the driver's seat, you know. She's usually sitting there waiting and, uh, for you to get in and drive the car. And we have one designated driver, so to speak. We have one person in control. Uh, if we have two people driving, we have chaos, we have confusion, we have turn right, turn left, stop, you know, go, and... Uh, when Cheryl and I, when we were driving, I'll, I'll be doing so, I'll just be driving, so all of a sudden she goes, oh, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Thinking somebody hit us or something. I was like, don't do that. <laughs> and, uh, and we all know that we don't like backseat drivers. If we're driving, we're driving. Now, now we like help. We don't like giving directions, but we do like help, and uh, we, we, we want to get where we're, where we're going, so we do like help, but... Um, Anyway, another thing I thought about was uh, as a pilot, the first thing you learn when you start learning pilot's lessons, you go up and you fly and, and you have to take a little introduction flight, have a little fun, and then the first thing the instructor tells you, okay, now when we're flying the aircraft, I'm the pilot in command, and when I give it to you to fly, I will say, do you have it? And you will say, I have it. And that is the basic thing that you learn in pilot teaching. That is something that sticks with you as long as you're a pilot. And that's something even today in the, in the aircrafts and the jets that fly. You always have a clear-cut chain of command in the cockpit. You have no room for, for confusion. The pilot is the pilot in charge. The co-pilot is second to him. And when they switch off, the pilot says, you have it. The co-pilot says, I have it. And when they switch back, the pilot says, I have it. And the co-pilot says, you have it, and he takes his hands off. There is no confusion. There can be no confusion in a life and death situation. So we have that example. Another example we have that we as parents use. We have, we have our kids, and when we leave them, thinking the grandkids now, when we leave them, we usually take the oldest one and say, you're in charge. And we say to their brothers and sisters, you listen to her. Or you listen to him. Now, I mean it. You listen to them. And we say, you are in charge. There is no question about who's in charge. We don't just walk out the door and say, okay, kids, uh, be gone for a few hours. Have a good time. That does not happen because we know what would happen. <laughs> and we would, so there is no confusion in that. And when we come home, we know that the oldest that we put in responsibility, they're going to answer to us. And where if we did not put somebody in charge, it would be mayhem. It would be confusion. It would be, well, we thought it was a good idea, you know, at the time, and I don't know. They wanted to do this. They wanted, I don't know where they're at. I'm not sure what they're doing. So we have to have order, and so it's not, it's not order. You know, I do know people that, that um, got married and then later became Christians, and uh, his attitude was, uh, my wife won't submit to me, and we were like, well, are you being the leader of the house? 
Are you setting a godly example? Are you doing, are you, are you uh, talking with her? Well, no, she just won't submit to me. Well, um, you're not to rule over your wife. You are to love them and to um, nurture and to guide them. And that, again, is God's order. So it's an attitude. It's an attitude adjustment that that person would have to have. And uh, I know they'd be coming to church. They'd have a fight in the car. One of them would be out walking. And then they'd show up at church. You know, one would show up in the car. They'd have to stop and wait for them. It was a, it was a constant thing until they learned to have that mutual love and respect for each other. And, and uh, who's leading and who's following and who's doing what here? I know in business, in business, if you don't have a clear-cut chain of command, again, you have a confusion. Because you walk in, you have three executives. Okay, what's, what's happening today? Who's, who's responsible for this? Who's responsible for that? But when you say you are responsible for this, you're responsible for production. Get it done then he knows that he is responsible for that certain task and he has to get it done. So again, it, it is God's way of putting things in order. God is a God of order. He is um, God the Father over even man, woman, and child. See, we, led, we lead as we are led. Men, there is someone over men, over women also, but it's it's men, um, God the Father, husband, wife, child. Again, we have a clear-cut order on who's responsible. And if things aren't going well, who is responsible for this? For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. See, if we didn't have this, we would we end up with disorder. We end up with confusion. And we know that he is not the author of confusion. Confusion comes from the devil. Um, because there is no truth in him, he is a liar, a thief, a murderer. He will always try to confuse, confound, and mislead us. That is what we get when we have no order. When we, get, when we are follow the world, in essence follow him, we have confusion. So I say if you're confused, if you're wondering about things, then perhaps you need to get to God and and find what you're confused about and get some order because he, we have a promise that he is not a God of, of confusion, but he is a God of order. So as we go on with this, we see that um, we lead as we are led. And uh, there's a good example of this in Matthew chapter 8. And it's the faith of the centurion. And uh, when Jesus was ministering in Capernaum, a certain centurion, a centurion came to him asking for help. And he said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. And soldiers, with soldiers under me, I will tell this one go, and he goes. That one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places with, in the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And at that very hour, his servant was healed. So we see that we have an example here that the centurion understood that, understood that, that we, we are led and we lead, we follow, and we lead at the same time. There is, um, other ways to look at that and play in this position in that how we play, I keep reaching down there to grab that, in how we play this position means everything. In that, again, it's not about us. It's about the we. And you see the example there of, of the man leading the family and the wife. And, but it's not about him. It's about the family unit. And, you know, we, had, we used to have a saying in construction when we'd all be out on the job talking about what to do and uh, when we'd be left on our own and when we'd be doing things, we'd say, lead, follow, or get out of the way. We're going to get this done. Because in construction, you are determined. We can't stand around and talk about this. We either lead, follow, or get out of the way. We had another saying, man up. You know, this has to be done. Man up. Get with it. And um, do your duty. Come on. And so I've, I've led, I've followed, and I've gotten out of the way. If somebody else has a better idea, it's like, okay, let's go with it. As men under God, our role is servant leadership, as Jesus demonstrated for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. We lead even as we are led. What did Jesus say? By myself, I can do nothing. I can judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but to seek him who sent me. Jesus said, "With by myself, I can do nothing. And you know, you think about that here. Jesus, half, you know, fully man and fully God, but yet while on earth says, by myself, I can do nothing. I can only do what I see the Father do. He spent time in, the, in, in prayer, in relationship to lead because he was being led by his Father, as he was being led by his Father. Ephesians 4, 6 says in that, uh, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. And this was part of our verse in Colossians 3.21, where it says, Fathers, do not exasperate or not provoke your children. One thing that I think that we have to be careful as fathers, we have to be careful of this authority that we have. Because our children look to us at an early age as an authority figure. And if we provoke them, if we exasperate them, if we discourage them, it is something that they will have with them for the rest of their lives. There's, there's ways that, certain ways that, that we need to know to avoid this. And one way is, is uh, to avoid is by being overly harsh in punishment, by being overly strict. You know, we always say let the punishment fit the crime. So when a, you know, to have a little bit of grace with our children, you know, not, not uh, be so quick to discipline by belittling them, by calling them names. I, you know, I, I know people that, uh, what do you think about your father? Oh, he, he told me this, or he said this, or he said I was stupid. 
He said, I'd never amount to anything. Those words stick with those kids for their whole life. And they always wrestle with that. By comparing them to others and showing favoritism. By saying, well, why can't you be like so-and-so? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? You know, one of the things, I, or my earliest thoughts that I remember is that uh, we, had, uh, we had a tugboat when I was uh, young. And uh, we were out in a boat, and there were some other kids with us. They had been around boats their whole life. They lived across the bay and the town that we grew up in. So they were driving boats back and forth all the time. And they were even older than me. And I was, I was a young guy. And uh, so it was my turn to drive the boat. So I kind of get up there. We were all, we had just gotten the boat, and it was kind of out for a Sunday afternoon. So I was driving it, and... I don't know if, you, if you've ever driven tugboats or fishing boats. They have a reaction time. They're not like a, they're not like a car. They, you know, you don't, the lag time, just like this clicker has. You know, you get there, and if you start turning back, it's too late. You know, you turn, and as you start turning, you're already bringing the wheel back. And you turn, and you start turning, you're already bringing the wheel back. So I, they, had, they were driving the boat. It was no big deal to them. Like I said, they were older than me, and they were used to boats. So dad asked me, do you want to drive? And I said, yes. And so I get up there, and I'm like this, you know. And um, first time I'd ever run a boat. I had no clue, nothing. And I turn, we're there, and I start turning back, and we keep going. And then, you know, so I'm lagging. We're going down the channel like this. And, and, and dad, you know, he didn't say anything harsh. He said, oh, yeah, get out of the way. But I knew, I knew that I had failed that test. And um, that's one of the things that I just, it always stuck with me that uh, he didn't say anything. He didn't say, well, you know, that's it. That's good, Stephen. Let me have it now. He just, nah. Because he was disappointed in me because the other boys, they did just fine, and I didn't do it. And uh, those are the things that you remember because you want to please your dad. You want to please your father. So we need to be careful that we, you know, in, in, with our kids, that we, not overly harsh with them, not doing things that would discourage them. Kids respond more positively to encouragement rather than criticism. So we need to remember that and not find fault or have unrealistic expectations for them. Um, Having a double standard, you know, the kids will see that right off the bat. If we have a double standard in our lives, they'll figure that out real quick, you know, and... uh, Parents that have that always say, well, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's kind of a poor cop-out. So we need to have a good standard because they're going to see what they see their dad do. You know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, you know, you hear so many. I remember when Cheryl and I got married and uh, one of the kids uh, said a word that uh, wasn't very good. Well, just shut up, actually. She was telling her doll to shut up. And we were like, where did she hear that? And we were like, oh, okay. (laughs) I don't know where it came from, but we, we maybe told her to shut up one time or something. I don't know. But uh, we said, okay, well, we have, to, we have to be careful in what we do. And because they observe and they watch and they follow us. You know, we are children. You know, their, their father is an idol in their eyes. So we have to be careful what we do as men and as fathers. So in um, one more here in conclusion if we wrap this up here is how do we become world changers by recognizing the position that we play servant leaders as Christ came to serve not be served he said I can only do what I see my father do he was humble in his position not domineering not demanding to be served followed or obeyed as as uh, 
1 Peter 5.3 says, Not lording it over those entrusted to you. I think one of the most important things that we can be as, as, as men, as uh, fathers, is yes, to be strong, yes, to be encouragers, but also to be humble, to be strong, to be humble, to be a servant leader. You know that uh, in doing all this, we have a promise that the Lord has made to us, that he would not leave us alone in this endeavor, that we would be led by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, the counselor of truth that Christ has promised to all of us, paraclete in the Greek, one who comes alongside, a helper, a comforter, will lead, guide, and direct. So we have this confidence that that as we lead our families, we are being led by God, uh, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, our comforter, and one who comes along beside us. He will glorify the Holy Spirit, says that... um, when he comes, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you of what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said to the Spirit, will receive, he will receive from me, he will make known to you. So we have this promise that um, God has made to us, that he will not leave us alone. He will not leave us without direction. And um, in Mark 17, 5, when uh, we have the transfiguration, when Jesus was on the mountain with uh, Peter, James, and John, and the cloud came down and enveloped him, and they saw something. They saw that he was, as he was transfigured, he glowed in bright light. He was clothed in white. And um, then there was a, cl- a voice from the cloud that said, This is my son whom I love. With him I, is, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. You know, when I read that, that reminded me of us as parents when we leave the house and we tell the oldest sibling, you're in charge. You listen to her. You do what she says. And in this case, God says of Jesus, this is my son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, if you want, that could almost be the last, the last word that we receive, the last direction that we got from the Father. You listen to him. You do what he says. One day, you're going to stand in front of me. Just like one day, we're going we're to come home. The parents are going to come home. You know, One day, you're going to have to be answerable to me. The next hour or two, you're going to have to be answerable to me. God the Father says, you listen to him. One day, you're going to have to be accountable to what I have told you to do. Did you listen to him? Did you follow him? And so... As we close, we're just going to close in prayer here. And, um, you know, I just want to encourage men that this is Father's Day. This is a good day. This is a time to celebrate. We might not be fathers, but we all had fathers. 
We all have examples of other fathers, uncles that were good men. And, uh, you know, I think back to the, in my lifetime, when we go back to even the, the great generation, those that made the sacrifice for us in World War II, in that battle, I think about those men and the courage that they displayed. We just, we just finished up here with Memorial Day not too long ago. That was a great generation. We just had the D-Day, I think it was 60 years of D-Day that uh, just happened. When those, those were just farm boys that uh, hit those beaches. When those gates opened, they had, it was utter chaos for them. But yet, even though it was, they persevered and won the battle. So, as we face life here, yes, we might have chaos. Yes, we might have times and trouble, and um, trouble in the family, trouble with our kids, trouble with our job. But the most important thing that I can think of is that we persevere, that we set an example of those that have gone before us, and um, that we don't let anyone down not on our watch, not on what God has called us to do in this church, in our families, in this country. So, yes, it's Father's Day. Yes, it's a good day. And yes, it is time to be happy and spend time with family. But it's time also in remembrance and uh, to get down on our knees and to remember the responsibility that God has given us and to follow through with it in every way that we can. So let's just close in prayer here.